Big Finish presents Doctor Who Short Trips. O Tannenbaum by Anthony Keach. Read by Peter Purvis. The little girl wound up the old gramophone and the music returned to its usual speed. The song was pretty, but still she hugged herself with worry. Where was Daddy? Why was he taking so long? Perhaps he'd never come back. Tonight was Christmas Eve. He wouldn't leave her alone for that, would he? Not that she was alone, really. To take her mind off what was upstairs, she looked again at her new Christmas tree. It was so beautiful, the most beautiful thing she'd ever seen. Did it need more tinsel? No, it was perfect. There was a loud thump at the door. I stepped out of the TARDIS and sank up to my shins in snow. It was so cold, I almost lost all feeling below the knees. The doctor had warned me it would be chilly outside, but I hadn't listened. Would he crow or be magnanimous in being right? Again. Either way, it would be annoying. <laughs> Most refreshing, Stephen, I heard the doctor say behind me. He had, of course, made no concession to the temperature, except for an astrakhan hat perched on his head but he was clutching a pair of moon boots which he handed to me with a smug smile. Balancing against the TARDIS door, I took off my sodden shoes and put on the moon boots. My socks were a bit squelchy, but I'd have to put up with that. I'd known worse hardships. So, where are we, Doctor? Earth? The Doctor sniffed the air and nodded his head. Yeah, I think so, my boy. A certain zest... To the air, <laughs> one of the more unspoiled parts anyway. Hmm? We landed on the edge of a pine forest. Hundreds of trees, many towering into the sky, stood before us as far as we could see. The branches were laced with snow, and they reminded me of Christmas cards I'd received back home, not that forests like this were still standing on the earth of my time. But it was the smell that struck me most. An overwhelming perfume of pine, so pungent I felt suffocated by it. The cold air had already made my nose smart, and the aroma of the trees nearly brought tears to my eyes. It's beautiful, I said. I expected the doctor to agree, but he was looking thoughtfully at the trees. It's so quiet, silent, not even any birds. A nice change from the constant whirring of the TARDIS. Yes, uh, very silent, agreed the Doctor, apart from your prattle. I contemplated lobbing a snowball at him, but knew that the risk of making him even more bad-tempered just wasn't worth the brief joy of seeing the look on his face as it hit him on the nose. 
I closed my watering eyes to really appreciate the hush. While I would have preferred a tropical beach with a never-ending supply of cocktails, any escape from the hubbub of our usual life was appreciated. Listen, Doctor. I'd heard distant music. The Doctor chuckled. Ha, very appropriate. Ha. Where's it coming from? The Doctor pointed due south, away from the trees. I squinted and could just make out a small cottage. How the Doctor spotted it with his elderly eyes, I don't know. But then you could spend the whole day marvelling at the Doctor and never get anything else done. I'd heard that sound before. Must be one of those antique gramophones like the monk used. The Doctor looked thoughtful. Ah, I think we'll pay that charming cottage a visit. He rubbed his hands together and blew on them. You never know, ah, they may even have the kettle on. He strode towards the cottage. I did what I usually do. I followed him. Well, someone has to keep him out of trouble. And one day I may even learn how to do that. It started to snow, gently at first. Then the flurries intensified and vision deteriorated. The doctor called over his shoulder. Mark my footsteps, my good page. <laughs> Tread thou in them boldly. I didn't have a clue what he was going on about, but I bowed my head, fixed my eyes on his checked trousers and trod in his footprints, struggling to keep up. Most odd, I suddenly heard him say. He was staring at a small circle of pine trees which surrounded the cottage. More trees, I shrugged. Yes, but uh, back there, he pointed in the direction from which we'd just staggered through the snow. We had a clear view of the cottage, hmm? But these pine trees are almost blocking our way, hmm? My teeth were chattering, my eyelashes had iced up, and my brain was frostbitten. I didn't care about trees. Probably a perspective thing, I said. Let's just see who's at home, eh? The doctor didn't reply. Kettle, I reminded him. The doctor snorted and marched to the front door. There was no knocker, so he rapped sharply with his knuckles. The cottage was more of a log cabin, small and attractive, somewhat crooked as though the architect's plans had been crumpled, decorated with half-timbered beams with little frosted windows either side of the front door, like something from the fairy tales I never cared for much as a kid, preferring stories with spaceships and monsters, you know, things that were actually real. No one answered. I sighed. Come on, Doctor. Back to the TARDIS. Let's aim for somewhere warmer. I hear Mercury is very nice at this time of year. The doctor pointed at the chimney, which tossed precariously on the roof. Wisps of smoke were erupting from the top. The doctor grabbed the door handle and turned. With a creak and a flurry of snow from the gable above, the door opened inwards. The inside of the cottage was, to be polite, cosy. It seemed to be just one room with a set of stairs leading upwards in the corner. A fire flickered in the grate, but it looked undernourished and on the verge of extinguishing. There was a shabby armchair, a table, 
that was pretty much it. Offsetting this shabby decor was a splendid Christmas tree in front of one of the windows. It had been gaily decorated with coloured string and fruit and shiny baubles and cinnamon sticks. Candles were attached to several branches, although they were unlit. And the smell, it was even more captivating than in the forest. The combinations of pine and orange and cinnamon overwhelmed me with memories of my own childhood Christmases, even though we never had real pine trees, snow, cinnamon or oranges, or, if I'm honest, any real idea of what we were actually celebrating. I recall asking my mother what Christmas was for, and she just shrugged and said, Any excuse for a party? The doctor pointed underneath the tree. Present, he said. Still wrapped, so Christmas is imminent, and the fire is lit so the owners can't be far away. Last-minute shopping, I suggested, quite reasonably, I thought. I always had to have gifts transmitted to friends' hollow printers last minute on Christmas Eve. Ah, don't be ridiculous, Stephen. <laughs> We're in the wilds of nowhere. I should think the nearest shop is the other side of the mountains at the very least. Perhaps they've gone hunting, I said. And I don't relish the idea of three armed bears coming home and finding a pair of Goldilocks rifling through their porridge. The doctor chuckled, then froze. He placed his fingers on his lips and pointed towards the base of the Christmas tree. In the midst of wrapped presents, I could see a small pair of legs sticking out, wearing threadbare stockings and shoes which had long seen their best days. Uh, hello, said the doctor gently. Merry Christmas! Joyeux Noël! Nadolig Klauen! Gawen! Chris Nascon! <laughs> a small face peered nervously through the branches. It was a young girl, five years old perhaps, maybe six, who knows. I've never been an expert at carbon dating children. Her hair was blonde and feral, while blue eyes stared nervously from a face that hadn't seen a bar of soap for a while. Meli Kalikimaka, child? said the doctor with a smile. The child said nothing, just looked even more terrified. Are you on your own? I asked her. Not the most reassuring question to ask a frightened little girl. She nodded, but her eyes flickered briefly in the direction of the stairs. Keep her talking, I mouthed at the doctor. Daddy went to get wood for the fire, and he hasn't come back, I heard her whisper as I climbed the rickety stairs. There was no banister, so I clung to the wall, convinced the stairs would collapse before I reached the top. When I reached the landing, I was faced with two doors. One was open and revealed a tiny bedroom sparsely decorated, an uncomfortable-looking bed, a small chest of drawers with a cracked jug on top, the only ornament on the wall being a small icon with, presumably, some religious connotation, the room was unoccupied except for a ragged doll lying on the bed. That came from behind the other door. I instinctively reached for the door handle, then paused. Should I knock first? I decided that vigilance trumped manners, so went inside. 
The stench hit me, a stale mix of illness and despair. I recognized it as my constant companion during my time on Mechanus. It was another meager bedroom, but occupied by an elderly man who lay in the bed. At first, I thought he was dead, his gaunt features accentuated by dark hollows under his eyes, his toothless mouth agape, purple veins swamping his bony arms. But the twitching mouth confirmed his being alive. Not for long, though, by my admittedly amateur diagnosis. I returned downstairs to find that the doctor, a man who could terrify Daleks and bring down galactic empires, was captivating a little girl with a rabbit made from his handkerchief. Ha ha, Stephen, said the doctor. May I introduce Greta? Oh, hello, Greta. I'm Stephen. We shook hands very formally. Do you like my new Christmas tree, Stephen? Greta asked me. My father cut it down for me this morning and I've decorated it. It's beautiful, I assured her. This cottage belongs to Greta's grandfather, Herman, the doctor told me. Greta and her father are spending Christmas with him as he's very ill. They arrived late last night. Uh, Greta's father, Joseph, went out to get some firewood and catch a rabbit, but hasn't returned. She's rather worried. I've just seen her grandfather upstairs, fast asleep. I then whispered, Death's door, I think. So, child, the doctor tapped her nose, I think we'd better find your father. Greta studied the doctor thoughtfully. Are you the dare Vanaxman? She whispered in the doctor's ear. <laughs> he chortled. I'm, I'm afraid not, child. <laughs> After all, he gestured at the window. It's not bedtime yet. Father Christmas doesn't visit children while they're still awake. I pointed out his error. Sorry, doctor, you're wrong. It's pitch black out there. Ah, nonsense, he harumped. It's barely afternoon. <laughs> I walked to the window. There wasn't even a chink of light getting in. No, doctor. That's definitely night out there, I said, peering into the darkness. Only, nighttime isn't green. Doctor, I tried to keep my voice steady for Greta's sake. I think you'd better look at this. He joined me at the window and took a look outside. Hmm, he said thoughtfully. Trees, I said. Christmas trees. Yes, he agreed. Lots of them, I continued. Surrounding the house. Trees that weren't there when we arrived a few minutes ago. A succinct analysis of the situation, my boy, he congratulated me. Normal, is it? He shook his head, his eyes fixed on the site outside. It was as though the cottage had been transported right into the heart of the forest. Pine trees were clumped so closely together, it was hard to tell where one finished and another started, so densely packed that escape would have been impossible. Their branches were interconnected, like they were arm-in-arm in, arm in solidarity. 
Occasionally a branch would reach the window and brush against it, tapping like fingernails on the glass. Are they alive? I asked the doctor. All trees are alive, he replied, but locomotion is rare. What do they want? He idly brushed the lapels of his jacket. That, my boy, is the question. Perhaps they merely want to wish us a Merry Christmas, hmm? There was a wail from behind us. The old man was standing halfway down the stairs, a look of anguish on his face. His legs buckled and he began to tumble down the stairs. With a speed that surprised even me, I leapt forward and caught him before he could hurt himself. He stared at me uncomprehendingly and clutched my arm with his bony hand. Why? Why did he do it? I shrugged at the doctor. What does he mean? I helped him sit down. The doctor took the old man's face in his hands. Uh, Herman, listen to me. What is happening here? Where has your son gone? The old man didn't seem to hear him. What's wrong with him? I asked. His old body's wearing a bit thin, that's all. <laughs> Happens to us all. The doctor snorted. Uh, we'll get nothing out of him. Uh, Greta! He turned to her, but she had disappeared. Uh, now where's that child gone? I pointed at her feet sticking out from under the tree again. I knelt down. Greta, no one's going to hurt you. I don't like the grumpy old man. I paused. Which one? She pointed at Herman. He shouted at Daddy. What about? I asked her. The trees. This sounded intriguing, but before I could ask any more, the doctor shouted, Stephen, stop him! Herman had made a beeline for the front door, as fast as he could, which admittedly was pretty slow. But he looked as though he could fall, and in his condition, that could be dangerous for him. I leapt towards him, but not before he'd reached the front door and flung it open. When he saw the trees outside, Herman fell to his knees and started crying. The doctor and I stared out through the door. The trees were even nearer than before, huddled together. The only space was a clearing immediately outside the cottage. The smell of pine was overwhelming, but whereas I'd found it refreshing when we'd first landed, now it seemed overpowering. They're so still, I said. I mean, they're obviously moving, but look at them. It's easy to imagine they've stood there for centuries. Herman, the doctor said sharply, kindly explain what is going on. The old man ignored him but staggered out into the snow. He stretched out his arms to the trees. Please, return, return my son, he begged. Forgive him and return him to me. The doctor poked Herman in the back. Hey, you foolish old man, you'll catch your death out here. Come back into the cottage and explain yourself. Herman ignored him 
The doctor took another tack. You're frightening the child! I checked on Greta back in the cottage to make sure she was okay. She was hiding under the table now, but there was pure terror on her face. Always heartbreaking to see in a child. At the back of my mind, I felt that I was missing something, but my priority was comforting the girl. She reached out her arms, so I picked her up, and she clung to me, trembling like an engine. I heard a commotion outside. The doctor and Herman had been joined by a third person, a man of about my age. He stood so silently and immobile in the midst of the trees that at first I mistook him for one of them. His eyes were blank, and his skin had a green tinge to it, due, I presumed, to the light being diffused through millions of green needles overhead. "'Daddy!' Greta squealed, struggling to leap from my arms. "'Hold her, Stephen!' the doctor commanded, and I clung on grimly. She wriggled like a wild thing, but I was determined not to let go, even when she started snapping her little teeth. Herman, with great difficulty, stood up. His pyjama trousers were wet with snow and coated in pine needles. Oh, my son, are you unharmed? And he held out his hands to embrace his son. Joseph, his expression unchanged, took a step forward and he too opened his arms. But there was something wrong with his right hand. At first, I couldn't see it clearly, and then realised with horror that his right arm was smothered in pine needles. Joseph had somehow become infected and was turning into one of them. So horrified was I by this image that I failed to hold on tightly enough to Greta and she leapt from my clutches. She ran towards her father, who held out his branch-like arm to her, the sap-soaked needles glistening like a thousand razor-sharp pins. I've never played rugby, but I think I may have a future, seeing as how I dived to the ground, scooped Greta up as she ran to her father and flung her back into the cottage. Doctor, I yelled, grab the old man. The doctor seized Herman by the shoulder and tugged the frail old man, light as gossamer, back inside. I shut the door and bolted it. Greta was staring out of the window at her father, tears rolling down her face. I felt lousy at what I'd just done, but who knows what that thing would have done to his own daughter. Herman was on his knees, his face in his hands. The doctor stared intently at him, and I could almost hear the cogs of his brain whirring away as he tried to solve the mystery. I was feeling the cold, and while I'd rather have warmed myself up with a hefty glass of scotch, I noticed the fire had almost gone out, so I decided to make myself useful by building it up again. But before I could even rub two sticks together, the doctor said, eh, I think, my boy, in the current circumstances, setting fire to wood might not be the most tactful thing to do. The room was now almost pitch black. The trees were pressing at the windows, any sunlight blocked, their branches drumming rhythmically at the glass. It set my teeth on edge. 
So, what's going on then, Doctor? I think the person to ask is Herman, hmm? The old man looked up at his name. In a frail voice, Herman said, He wouldn't believe me. Who wouldn't? asked the doctor sharply. My son, Joseph, he's never believed me about our family duty. And now I'm dying. What family duty? Does it involve the trees? Herman creakily tried to stand. I scooped him up by his armpits and he staggered to the window next to his granddaughter. The trees arrived several generations ago. This was a barren mountainside with little vegetation. Life was hard then. One day, the trees just arrived from the sky, my father said. My forefather took his axe and chopped one down. What a welcome, I said. The old man shrugged. They were trees, that's all, so he thought. He needed a house for his family. And here, miraculously, was an abundance of wood. Herman stopped for a coughing fit from which I wondered briefly if he might not recover. He eventually drew breath, sat down, and his lips a less blue color continued his story. The trees had their revenge. They took my forefather and he paused to choose his words. Made him one of them. A tree? I asked. Yes, he answered. He, he was turned into a pine tree. Even I know how ridiculous that sounds. He stared out of the window. He may even still be out there, who, who knows? One of them watching over us right now, but before he changed completely, while there was still a vestige of humanity about him, he told the rest of his family that from that time on, they had to protect the trees, or else they too would be changed. Every single one of them. And uh, this has continued down your family line all the way to you? Asked the doctor. But your son Joseph didn't believe it. The old man shook his head. He thought it was all nonsense. I couldn't blame him. The trees haven't moved for years. To all intents and purposes, they were just trees. I myself occasionally doubted my own family legends. At times, then I would see something out of the corner of my eye, a movement or a tree in a different place to where it had been the day before. Joseph grew to manhood, moved to the city, 
started a family of his own and I never saw him. When I realised that... <laughs> Another coughing fit. <laughs> that I was not long for this world. I pleaded for him to visit for Christmas so I could meet my little granddaughter. He ruffled her hair. She didn't seem to notice. Last night, I tried again to tell him of his duty, but he just laughed at me. I grew angry, made myself ill. This morning, he must have chopped down the tree for Christmas, partly for little Greta, but mostly to spite me. I looked at the Christmas tree, glittering away in the corner, looking so pretty and innocent. Then it finally occurred to me what had been bugging me for a while. Doctor, correct me if I'm wrong, and I know you will, but wasn't the Christmas tree in the other corner when we arrived? The doctor barked his little laugh. <laughs> I wondered when you'd notice that, my boy. We all faced the Christmas tree. Greta was standing by it, still staring out through the window. Greta, I whispered. Come over here, please. Away from the tree. She ignored me. I reached to pull her away when, with a whiplash noise, one of the tree's branches grabbed Greta and drew her towards itself. She was engulfed in the greenery before she could make a sound. I was primed to retrieve her, but the doctor stopped me. Don't be impetuous! But it'll kill her! The doctor shook his head. Look! Greta was peering out from between the branches. She was visibly terrified, but clearly alive. I knelt down in front of the tree. Don't worry, Greta. We'll get you out. The tree slashed the branch at me, its razor-sharp needles missing me by millimetres. I stepped back. I can take a hint. So what now, Doc? But he was gone. So was Herman. The door was open. Had the trees taken them? I raced to the doorway. The doctor was just outside and he prevented me going any further. The trees were even closer to the cottage, leaving only a tiny space in front of the door. Herman was on his knees, his lower legs engulfed in the snow, weeping. He's too frail for this, Doctor. If nothing else, the cold will kill him. Herman was beating his clenched fists into the snow. Take me, he wheezed. Release my son and his child. <laughs> Take me. Put him back inside, the Doctor instructed me. I scooped up the old man, who weighed less than his granddaughter, and took him back into the cottage. He didn't resist, just hung limply in my arms. I gently put him down on a chair. The Christmas tree hadn't moved, and Greta was still engulfed in its branches. I attempted to give her a reassuring smile, but I rather suspect I failed. Uh, keep an eye on your grandfather for me, Greta. I said, then rejoined the doctor outside. 
The doctor was standing upright, hands on his lapels in the centre of the ever-shrinking clearing, his gaze taking in the full 180 degrees of the trees. At first he reminded me of a conductor about to chastise an orchestra who've just made a mess of a symphony. Even from behind I knew exactly what the expression on his face would be, querulous and piercing. I'd quivered in front of it myself, but I felt no shame, as Dravins had done the same. Do you know why human beings bring trees into their houses at this time of the year? The doctor asked the trees. Hmm? <laughs> it is because their early ancestors thought you were gods. Yes, gods. Oh, it may seem ludicrous to us modern fellows, but they believed that the flora of the forests were inhabited by supernatural spirits. And at the time of the winter solstice, when the days are short and the temperatures are low, the people worried about the poor gods living out in the forest, exposed to the snow and the frost and the ice. Humans die in those conditions. So why shouldn't the same happen to trees? So what did they do? They brought you into their homes so you could be warm and comfortable during the bleakest days of the year. The doctor paused for effect. He was good at that. So, why did young Joseph here take one of your compatriots into his father's house? Was it malice? Was it cruelty? Was it wanton destruction? No! The doctor marched up to the biggest tree, which stood at the apex of the semicircle, and prodded its trunk. It was hospitality! The trees stood there, impassively. Well, that's what trees usually do, but not one branch swayed, not one needle dropped. Herman's family have been looking after your people for generations. You invited yourself here. The doctor paused briefly. I don't care why you came here. That isn't the point. Hang on. Could the doctor understand the trees? Before I could process this bizarre thought, he continued to harangue them. Who knows what sacrifices they've made over the years just to protect you? And how have you repaid their welcome and generosity, hmm? By depriving Herman of his son and that little girl of her father. Any house guest of mine who behaved like that will be sent home with a spank bottom and a flea in their ear. I made a mental note to behave myself a bit more while travelling in the TARDIS. Ah, I'm fed up with a lot of you. The doctor brushed some snow off his jacket. I'm going inside to have a cup of tea. You can all stay here in the cold and have a jolly good think about your behaviour. He turned around and marched back towards the cottage. Come along, my boy. I started to follow when I became aware of crunching noises coming from behind the trees. I stood in front of the doctor to cover him. From between the trunks of the trees staggered Joseph his feet trudging through the crisp snow. He ground to a halt in front of us. He blinked at me, his eyes trying to focus like the lens of an old-fashioned camera. Was it my imagination, or 
Was his flesh less green? His mouth opened, and from his cracked lips, he hoarsely uttered, Greta. The doctor stepped up to him and gave him a brisk and rudimentary once-over. Your family are inside the cottage, the doctor informed him. What I hoped was a smile appeared on Joseph's face. But before he could move, Greta came running out from the cottage towards her father, screaming with joy. Joseph knelt down and held out his arms to her, but as soon as she saw his pine-needle-covered hand, she skidded to a halt, frozen. She gaped at her father's arm, and her lip trembled. She looked into his face, really staring into his eyes. He smiled at her, an easy, fluent smile this time, and raised his branch-like hand to her face and gently stroked it. She involuntarily flinched, then her expression changed to curiosity. Greta reached into the pocket of her cardigan and brought out a shiny Christmas bauble. It was a sparkly little thing on which there was a glittery picture of a robin. Carefully, she hung the bauble on the end of her father's arm. He looked at it, puzzled. Then, with his still human hand, he drew her into a hug. I think you got through to them, Doctor, I whispered. The Doctor chuckled. Eh, children always get overexcited at Christmas. Oh, I think Greta has enough reason to be a bit hyper. Oh, I wasn't talking about her, he said airily. He waved dismissively in the direction of the trees. You mean the trees are children? Trees live a great many years, he said. Almost as long as... <coughs> I'm not sure where these trees came from, but if they've only been here a few generations, that means they're still practically adolescent. And since they've arrived, they've been spoiled. Not to say indulged. Are we just going to leave them here? I asked. Where else could they go? He asked. No, I think they'll learn to behave themselves now, particularly since there is now a liaison between their species and the humans. Can't uh, Joseph be cured? I was rather shocked by this. The doctor shrugged. If anyone can do something about that, it'll be the trees themselves. Won't Joseph find it a bit of a problem with a tree for an arm, you know, with, with work and things? The doctor nudged me. Eh, perhaps he could be a branch manager, <laughs> he giggled. I don't know what one of those is, the doctor sighed. I really should stick with travelling companions from the 20th century. <laughs> They're the ones who can't wait to leave, I muttered. The doctor slapped me on the back. Our first argument of the season! <laughs> Merry Christmas, my boy! So, are we going to celebrate it here? The doctor shook his head. No, I think this is a family that needs to be by itself for Herman's last Christmas. He paused. Not that that may be the situation. <laughs> Look! He pointed at the cottage. 
Three small Christmas trees were lumbering out of the door, all draped in tinsel and baubles, followed by an excited Greta who was throwing something shiny and glittery over them. I sneaked a look into the cottage. Joseph was helping his father gingerly climb the stairs, his branch supporting the old man's stooped back. I think it's uh, time we left, said the doctor, and he started to trudge through the snow back towards the TARDIS. I looked longingly at the cottage. I hadn't celebrated a family Christmas for a long time. Wouldn't it be nice to share some time with other people, laughing and drinking, rather than cooped up in a time machine with just a grumpy old man for company? Doctor! I called after him, but the wind carried my voice in the wrong direction. I knew that if I followed him, that would be it. He'd usher me into the TARDIS, and before I knew it, we'd be off to who knew where to face unimaginable dangers... Surely I'd earned a short holiday. We could sing... What are they called? Carols. I knew one. Something about wishing it being Christmas every day. The TARDIS food machine could rustle us up a Christmas dinner, or at least a reasonable facsimile, and we could do whatever it is that people do at Christmas. <laughs> Greta ran past, laughing like a hyena. She threw a snowball at me. I scooped up some snow and chucked one back at her. I immediately felt a prod in my back. The two small trees were right behind me with what I assumed were baleful expressions on their, well, not faces. It's a game, I explained hurriedly. Bes besides, she threw first. Greta scampered back and this time lobbed snowballs at both the small trees. They forgot me and lumbered genially after their little human friend. I shielded my eyes and tried to spot the doctor, but he disappeared into the snowy horizon. He must be almost back at the TARDIS by now. I sighed. I knew he wouldn't leave without me. Would he? But I'd have to face a barrage of petulance for keeping him waiting, and anyway... Merry Christmas, Greta, I called to her. Merry Christmas, trees. She glanced up and gave me a cursory wave. I called into the cottage. And a Merry Christmas! There was no response. To all of you at home, I said to myself, and began the trudge back to the TARDIS. <laughs> <laughs>